stuff got to working. Load the cupboard doors off these cupboards. Choke cherry wine everywhere. Paul said, be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. God don't have a problem with you and I getting drunk tonight so long as it's on the Holy Ghost. Ah, my God, he said, you don't put new wine in old bottles lest they burst, but you put new wine in new bottles. Oh, I'd like to get some full of the Holy Ghost tonight. He'd just blow up get the Holy Ghost everywhere. Matter of fact, they got a saying where I come from on a Friday night. Down here they say, let's just go have a high heel time. But up yonder where I come from, they say, let's just go get hands and knees floor licking drunk. I really wonder if some of you ever been drunk on the Holy Ghost or not. I've been so drunk on the Spirit of God, I, I couldn't even walk. I, I couldn't even roll. They had, to, they had to haul me around. You ain't never going to get drunk if you don't put the bottle to your lips, friend. Some of you are so reserved and so refined. I'd like to see God get a hold of the scruff of your neck and roll you down that center aisle and back up again. Oh, let me, let me talk to you for a minute. This worship business, this, 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 this excites me. I was trying to preach revival one place, and there was a preacher and his wife visiting. Boy, I took about all that woman I could handle. She sit out there, looked at me like a hoot owl on a picket fence. Service after service, she just sit there and glower at me. That cute little apostolic bun on her head. That little old long dress. She glowered at me. Finally, I got mad and I asked the guy, I said, I was pretty surprised. She said, you got a long handle shovel? He said, yeah. I said, bring it. I'm going to need it tonight. I got to preaching about Abraham. Isaac digged again the wells of Abraham, his father. I dug all kinds of things out of them wells, brother. I dug TV videos, pantsuits, and all kind of stuff out of there. And then I got to work at that old pride. And I reached over there and grabbed the hold of that shovel and I walked back where she was and I run that thing underneath her hind end and I pried her up that chair. <laughs> brother, they say looks had killed, brother. I'd have been like a pincushion. But here's what happened. God broke that nasty old spirit of pride right in that book. And that preacher told me the next service she came back, when they hit the music on that piano, she went to dancing all over that church. You see, you're looking at one preacher. I'm not willing to let you sit there with the presence of God moving. And you just sit there. And you just sit there. And you just sit there. Oh, I wonder what it would take. I wonder how much a God would have to come in this place to get some of you to respond. 
Doctor. He don't want forced praise, but he does want praise, and he does want worship. David said, Blessed is he whom, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no God. You know why you're blessed tonight? Because it was the day in your life when you came to an apostolic altar. And there was a God that was bigger than all your sins. Oh, God, the prophet Isaiah said Israel had received double for all her sins. He said, comfort you, comfort you, my people. Do you know what that's talking about? In those days when a man was bankrupt, he had to write every debt he owed on a piece of parchment and take it out and stick it on a stake on the front lawn of his house. Everybody that walked by could read his debt. They said if a rich man came by and had mercy, he'd sign his name to the bottom of that list and fold it double and mark on the back, paid in full. There was a day, my friend, when you and I were bankrupt. We had no money. We couldn't redeem ourselves. We couldn't dig ourselves out of the hole that sin had put us in. But oh, there came a day when we were so bankrupt, we had to write a list of sin. We named our sin at an old altar. And the rich man came by. The Bible said, he that was rich became poor for your sake. And he looked at the list, Brother Elder, and he read it all. You fold it up double and said, paid in full, signed in blood, Jesus Christ. That's why we're blessed tonight. I said, that's why we're blessed tonight. We're not blessed because we've got a place to worship. We can worship out in some brush or somewhere. But we're blessed of God because we've been forgiven and our sins been remitted. Praise God. Oh, I've got to you. hurry. I've got to hurry tonight. Oh, I've got to touch on Joshua just for a second because I ain't, ain't going to be preaching about two more services. But you know, I got to reading about Joshua when he met that angel, the captain of the Lord's host. And that dude was a, he was a priest, but he was a fighting priest. Here come this angel. Joshua in the Bible said, look up, and he saw this angel. Now, I ain't never seen an angel, not even my wife is an angel. I ain't never seen an angel. I hear a lot of people see an angel, and I talked to a guy that said he got an angel walk with him, brother, that 10 feet tall, that got blonde hair, and got a sword about that wide and about five feet long. He said, every once in a while I see him walking. So I, I, I don't know. 
Now, the angels is that big? I don't know. But if when he was one of them ten-foot angels, I believe old Joshua looked up there and saw that dude. And if he, he said, are you on our side or the adversary side? I believe if that angel hadn't declared himself who he was, Joshua would have drug iron. My point is this. I believe Joshua had the spirit of a warrior on him. And there was something in the heart of Joshua that would defend what he believed. Everything to Joshua that didn't look right, that didn't sound right, that didn't smell right, brother, he was ready to battle with What some of you need to do is get the spirit of a warrior on you. You feel that old spirit settling on the church service where it's so tight you can't even blink? What you need to do is draw the sword and say, whose side are you on? Are you on the Lord's side? Or are you on the side of the adversary? You ought not to wait for that preacher to get up here and say, all right, church, come on, let's worship God. You ought to have enough spiritual sensitivity to realize there's something wrong in the spirit. Oh, hallelujah. My God. I got to quit and read the text. Praise God, I want to try to help you tonight. And uh, I will say this, that uh, apostolic revival is no place for the fearful and the unbelieving unless you're here to repent. It's no place for the fearful. Second Samuel, the ninth chapter twelve. I want really, I want really to help you. And this is as much a message of just in case as any message that I preach will help. And I want you to know before I begin that my intent tonight is to help you. I am your friend tonight. And you might be wanting to say when you hear this text that I read that there is no one present that this message could possibly fit. That is another reason I'm going to preach this tonight because I don't want it ever, ever to be able to be said that it happened here. What I'm going to preach about tonight I have seen happen to my, one of my best friends. 
and I made a vow to myself that I try to keep it, that I would preach this everywhere I go, everywhere I go, in hopes that I can prevent someone from making the same mistake that he made. And I do also believe that it's the will of God. Second Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, and lay in his own bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd, to dress it for the wayfaring man that was come unto him but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was kindled greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the, word, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite. thou hast despised me. I suppose every preacher that's been anywhere or preached any length of time has preached from this text. So I'm probably preaching from a worn out title and probably a more ragged text tonight than most in scripture, but I feel compelled tonight to preach this. And I want to borrow a title from my pastor tonight. I want to preach to you on this subject, Beware of the Traveler. Beware of the Traveler. Would you pray tonight? Lord God, we love you. God, we ask tonight that the Holy Ghost would come down, Lord, and anoint the ears of your people. Touch my mouth, Lord, and my lips with your anointing. God, let the anointing break the yoke. Give us understanding of your word. And I pray somehow tonight, God, that that your church could feel the burden, God, that I feel. Lord God, 
But before it's all said and done, God, on the last day, men is said, the lights are turned out, God, that you would put a carefulness in us, God. Teach us, Lord, to walk softly before you. God, and we'll give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. David is at home in our text when he should have been at war. There is a knock that comes at the palace door. Arise, David. You have a visitor. Who is it that knocks upon my door? Oh, it's just a time-worn traveler, dusty from his journey. Someone who has been anywhere worth going. This traveler has been in the homes of the mighty, in the palaces of kings, in the lowly huts of the peasants. He feels at home, David, in your palace too. This traveler, David, is a veteran of many hard-fought battles. He is well-scarred, and this traveler knows no fear. David, you have a testimony tonight that you killed the lion, and you killed the bear, and you slew Goliath while others hid in fear. You are the one that they sang about killing your tens of thousands while Saul killed his thousands. How will you fare, David, against this veteran of many battles, this great champion of bygone years? Who is this traveler who has come to the home of David, the resting king? He is the one enemy, brother elder, that David never encountered on a battlefield. He is the one enemy that David had never built a defense against. This dusty traveler is the traveler called Lust. Lust had come to the palace of David seeking to conquer this resting warrior king. Lust knew that it could not sway David with riches and the acquisition of property or success, or popularity. For all these were already David's by virtue of the fact that he was lawfully king of the land. Lust had come to David as a robber. It came to rob him of virtue, of cleanness. It came to rob him of honesty and integrity. It came to rob David of his reputation and to mar his testimony. It came to rob David of his self-worth, of his hope, of his faith, and his confidence that he had in God. Lust had come to rob David of the proper value of the things he already possessed. Then, after lust had acquired these things, he would demand from David that which was not his, the wife of another man. Lust came to condemn David in the courtroom of his own conscience and found him worthy of death by the slow torture of his own memory.
Lust had come to this resting king as a robber. The fact that Bathsheba was, was displaying her body on a rooftop while she bathed did not give the king the right to her, nor force her to comply with her wishes. I believe tonight that Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba, was in many ways a much better man than David the king was. For at least Uriah, who was named among the mighty 30 men that David had, at least he was loyal and faithful unto death. Lust had demanded from David to be fed from another man's table. Lust demanded, demanded Bathsheba, Uriah's little lamb. We're not told tonight of the duration of time that it took for the fire to burn out of control. We're not told of the length of time that it took for lust to consume David. We only know that it did. David, the great warrior king, was so easily overcome and defeated by the dusty traveler because he had no defense against him. He had no guard. He had no reserve. David, in one sense of the word, was profane like Esau. Profane in the scripture, in Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it is, where it calls Esau a profane man. He's not saying that Esau was necessarily an immoral man. Esau we know prostituted his birthright and he prostituted his blessing it was stolen from him but we we need to go back to that little word profane and understand that it did come from a word that had to do in the old testament with guarding the the entrance to the tabernacle they set a, a guard at the door to guard the threshold so that nothing uncommon or unclean could pass over the threshold into that which was holy. And when the Bible calls Esau a profane man, it's simply calling him unguarded and unfenced. Esau was a thoroughfare, an open access to any spirit that wanted to come by, to any sin that was out there. Esau was easily taken by it. And David tonight, was no different. David was so easily defeated by lust because he was open, he was accessible, he was unfenced and unguarded. He was in the wrong place at the right time for the wrong reason. And the traveler found him at home. Lust by definition is that uncontrollable, insatiable desire for the forbidden and the unlawful. Lust does not necessarily hold a sexual connotation to it, but it can be a lust for power or for position or for popularity. I was talking to your pastor today, and I told him, I don't believe in being called a conservative or a liberal because in the country where I come from those are 
are uh, political parties. They're political terms. And in order for you to be a politician, you got to be motivated by the spirit of politics. Herod was a politician. Herod was motivated by that spirit of politics. When anything rose up to challenge Herod, he killed it. That's why he slew all those babies. He was scared that Jesus was going to rise up and take his throne. And so he slew the challenge. I don't believe for a minute tonight that any apostolic preacher that calls himself apostolic should stick his chest out and say, I'm conservative or I'm liberal. What's wrong with just saying, I'm a Christian and act like it? You don't need to wear a name tag on your shirt to tell people you're a Christian. You don't need some little fish on you to let people know you're a Christian. Why don't you just act like a Christian and everybody will know what you are. But lust involves so many things in life. Lust is to reach for and to take that which is forbidden and unlawful for you to have. Foolishness. The Bible said the very thought of foolishness is sin. Am I right? Foolishness always leads to fornication. You'll hear this preacher tonight. Why does it? Because when you get foolish, when you get so lighthearted that you override the checks and the balances in the Holy Ghost, you'll go too far, too fast, for too long. And all of a sudden, you'll realize where you are. And you'll look back and you'll say, Oh, look how far I've come and nothing's happened. And the first thing you know, you've fallen into immoral sin. You've fallen into immorality because of foolishness. I'm telling you tonight, it'll cause you to override the Holy Ghost. I really believe the Holy Ghost will check a man or a woman. It'll just arrest your attention. It'll stop you dead in your tracks. But not for very long. If you're so caught up with foolishness, it'll just let you go on. I read to you the scripture the other night from Proverbs chapter 6, but I'm going to read it again. Bible said, but whosoever committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. I told you then that no one will remember all the good that you did in church. They'll only remember the one time you messed up. Everybody will look at that white sheet of paper and they'll see that black spot on it. And it'll cause them to remember. They'll say, oh, do you remember when so-and-so used to go to this church? 
And oh, there's a sadness that'll come over you and you'll say, yes, yes, I remember. I remember what happened to me. David's sin is almost hidden beneath the accolades and the applause of him being a man after God's own heart. But I hope you realize tonight at one point in his life, he was a treacherous, murdering, hypocritical adulterer. Lust comes tonight in the clothes of a man or a woman. It does not know sex, uh, whether you're male or female. It is a spirit. The Bible said, the strange woman has cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. I want tonight to try to put some clothes on the traveler so you'll recognize him when he comes. See, so many times the traveler's like an invisible man. That old invisible man that couldn't see him until he put some clothes on. Your conduct tonight. He talked about it the other night, your holy conversation your lifestyle, your conduct. You can't afford, you listen, you can't afford to act anything but a Christian because the very minute you do, you're opening the door to the traveler. Your conduct is so important. It is what tells the traveler to either come in or stay out. If you're the kind of person that is so bubbly and effervescent and just so outgoing that you can't keep your hands to yourself, whether you're a man or a woman, you always got to be touching who you're talking to. Please don't talk to me. My Bible tells me it's better for a man not to touch a woman, and the reason is it's to avoid fornication. What are you saying, preacher? Let me spell it out for you a little bit plainer. And I don't want to get vulgar, but I'm going to tell you something. A woman is turned on by what she feels. That's why he said, don't touch. A man is turned on by what he sees or what he imagines he can see. That's why your conduct is so important. You don't want to leave the door open for the traveler to come. You can't be too careful. I have watched people reject correction only to fall into immorality. You better, you better make up your mind if God ever has to correct you.
that you're going to accept the correction with a good spirit. Because if you don't, there's a possibility that you'll leave the door open for the traveler. Colossians 2, I believe it's verse 21, said, Touch not, taste not, handle not. Brother Elder, one of the cardinal rules of a chaperone where I come from. You don't touch, you don't taste, you don't handle. What's that mean, preacher? Let me talk to you, young people. You better learn to keep your hands to yourself. You better learn to keep yourself pure and holy because you've got to protect yourself from the traveler. Now the man of God has saw fit to put chaperones in place because he knows how weak your flesh really is, whether you do or not. He knows how much discipline it takes to keep your guard up and how very little it takes to tear the guard down. So he put chaperones in place for your benefit. So you're not defenseless when the traveler comes. I don't know how early you let your young people date, Brother Elder, that's your business. But if it's 16, 18, 21, or 44, or 88. They need a chaperone that's going to tell them, hey, keep your hands to yourself. I'll give you a little for instance. We had some young people at my house, and this boy kept wanting to put his hand on this girl's arm. I gave him one chance, and I said, you touch her again, and I'm going to bounce your head off of that sidewalk out there. He reached over and put his hand on her arm again. And I looked at him for about two minutes and didn't say anything, and I said, you see that door? You feel it. And he said, you can't be serious. He found out I was serious when I pushed my chair back from the table. I've seen too many people fall prey to the traveler because they didn't think it was necessary that someone watched their conduct. I spent 19 years of my life in the world and you're not going to tell this preacher what goes on in the back seat of a car? I already know. And it's got no place in an apostolic church. I don't believe people that's not married got any business hugging and touching and swapping spit. I don't 
believe they got any business petting. Petting's for dogs. Matter of fact, I'll tell you how, how tight I am on it. I don't even let my younger daughter talk about getting married. I don't let her talking about dating boys. She ain't ready for it. I had a boy come up to me and say, can I, can I, uh, can I, I was wondering if I could, well, uh, the young people are going out and I was wondering if, uh, uh, uh. I said, what do you want? He said, well, I was wondering if I could take uh, your youngest daughter out uh, to eat. I said, no. I said, does your pastor know you're talking to me? Well, no, 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 well, he will. How old are you anyway? Well, I'm 18. I said, you know how old my daughter is? She just turned 13. I said, you know what I feel like doing to you? I said, I think you've got a spirit of a pervert on you. You know what I feel like doing to you? I feel like trimming your jib, friend. I feel like pulling you from limb to limb. I said, don't you even breathe within 30 feet of my daughter. I said, oh, preacher. You, you, you ain't supposed to talk like that. You got the Holy Ghost. I've seen what the traveler can do. And he comes in all shapes and sizes. And you can go ahead and let your daughter go ahead if you want to, friend. But mine ain't going to because I'm going to protect my daughter. Mm, hallelujah. You say, preacher, you feel the Holy Ghost? You better believe I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. You start all that business, you'll leave the, the door open for the traveler to come in. What happens is you start a fire of desire that you can't put out and you can't control. It will consume your defense if you have any. It will consume your reserve if you have any. And you'll burn a, build a fire in your life that will burn out of control and totally destroy in a moment's time what it took you years to build. You can't control lust. It always controls you. And when lust leaves, it leaves the door open for sin. And sin leaves the door open for lust. That's right. See, I know people that have fallen prey to the traveler. And I know that once it happens, you'll sin to cover up sin. You'll cheat and play the hypocrite to cover up your conduct. You'll lie to prevent people from knowing the truth. All because you open the door to the traveler. Oh, I want to preach tonight to the young people for a second more. Listen to me. God gave you a gift to give to the one you were marrying on your wedding night. It's called your virginity. He didn't give it to you to play with like a toy and throw it at the feet of every old whore or whoremonger in the countryside. Anybody tells you, oh, 
If you really love me, you let me do such and such. They don't love you. They lost you. You should have nothing to do with that kind of person. They're just trash. You may not have seen the devastation and the hurt that I have seen when the traveler comes by the unsuspecting. You don't, you don't know probably what it's like to see the, the, the heartache that's caused when someone feels like they can handle the traveler called lust. Think of a couple tonight that used to be in our home church. He was one of my best friends. He was a Spanish man, and uh, he was a man that had been in the Trinitarian movement. He was a preacher for those folks for seven years and finally got the revelation of one God and uh, Jesus named baptism, and he came into the church, and, and uh, oh, he could preach. I heard him preach, and he could preach the birds out of the trees. And that guy would preach, and tears would run down his face. The anointing so strong on him. But I, I watched his life, and I used to work with him by times, and we'd have him in our home, and they had a beautiful family with the elder. He and his wife had a little boy and a little girl. I don't know where, I don't know where it all started. I don't know when it all started. I just know that one day lust came by and found him home. This man, uh, he began to, I suppose, become friendly at first with the young lady in the church. This man was 29 years old. She was 15 years old. And I don't know the kind of relationship that the man had with his wife at home. I dare say that it wasn't the best. Irregardless of what his situation was at home, it gave him no liberty to do what he did with that young lady, or should I say that young woman. I don't know whether they ever met before this particular night for some clandestine relationship or not. But they went to a motel and committed fornication. And a week or so later, we are in prayer meeting I was praying beside him, and God spoke to me that he committed fornication with this woman. And I went to my pastor and told him, and he said, go get him. He wasn't in church that Sunday morning.